0: Okay. So continuing on 28A. So yesterday, what we ended off with is the idea that the hide, the the uh, the leather um, skin of a animal that is a not kosher animal can also become ritually impure by, by being a tent over a dead body. And we said, how do we know that? We said we can derive it from looking at common characteristics of a of something that can become ritually impure through the leprosy type of idea, and a sharet, a creepy crawly thing. Because both of those I both of those um both of those types of tumma can impart ritual impurity to a impure, to a non-kosher animal hide, right? And since both of those can impart ritual impurity to a non-kosher animal hide. So so too with regard to the question of ohel, with regard to the question of a tent, So, to the same way the animal hide of a deer becomes ritually impure, if it it is tenting over over a dead body, we will treat the hide of a not-kosher animal the same way as the hide of a kosher animal as well. Now, the Gemara asks a question now on this idea to to, to learn it out from both of these things together, from the case of um, the by Aras that can apply to to, uh, a not-kosher animal hide, and the by Aras that can also apply to a not-kosher animal hide we a question. from says One ask a question How can you learn out from both of these two cases? They both actually have a common denominator that does not apply to the case of a Tumas Mace of the Toma that can happen from a dead body. What's the common denominator? Common denominator is that both of these things they can be Metame. By Tumas of Sherets and creepy I thing, and by Tumas of Saras, they both can impart ritual impurity to an object that is less than that is less than um, the size of, of an olive, of a kezayis. So, matame, olive of a can you possibly say this by the case of a, a dead a dead body that cannot be matame unless the part of the body that's left over is at least the size of a kezayis? So, if you have a bone, not a bone, but if you have a, a piece of flesh that's less than the size of a kezayis, it's not going to. In part ritual impurity. So we see that Tumas Mace, on the one hand, is less stringent than the Tumah, than the impurity of Taras and Sharet. So you can't necessarily learn out the law of when you have an impure or an animal, a non kosher animal hide, does that become ritually impure by Mace? You can't learn that out from the case of Taras and Sharet, because maybe that's different. So Rabbi Barmanish has his own answer. How does he know that the that a non kosher animal can also become ritually impure from Tumas Mace? Ashe be kavachemer min nutzah shelizim. Says I can learn it out from a kavachemer from the case of nutzah What's nutzah shelizim? is a, some sort of um, garment that's made from hairs of a goat that was taken off the goat and then woven together. So what's the halachah over there? If you have this cloth that's made out of goats hair and it does not become tamay itself through tarras, right? From from uh, having taras on it will not make it impure. However, its still is that it could become impure. If the garment made out of goat here is covering over as the a, 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 a tent over a dead body, so if so, our However, the gar the hide the the skin of a not kosher animal that can become tameh through taras, right? If you have a not kosher animal that is, has teras on it, on its skin, that can become impure. Um, so if that can become impure, then for sure when it comes to a question of that, that would also be, makes makes a lot of sense. Then that that should also become ritually impure if it is tenting over a dead body. Okay. The Gemara is now asking that based on these two previous two previous MRI, and both of them are stating that a not kosher animal hide can also become ritually impure if it's going to be an OL a tent over, and they're just Differentiating exactly what their source is, but both of them are saying that it can become ritually impure. So now the Gemara asks like this: So what does Ravi say? Ravi we learned earlier says that the only type of, of of leather of skin that can become that can is is able to be used for for the work of heaven is only the the uh, the skin of a animal that itself is kosher. My what was the t- what purpose of teaching that? Right, because in other words, it, the the is not just coming to teach us a halacha that is relevant to the mishkan to the tabernacle and not relevant today. It must be that there was some relevance for today also. And if it was not to teach us, the gemara thinks at this point, it must be to teach us that if a non kosher animal hide is in a tent over a over a dead body, then the non kosher animal hide won't become ritually impure, right? So how could Ravah Barnish and Ravah say? that these types of uh, materials are, are indeed able to become ritually impure with ruftama, right? Because what else would be the din of the brites that come to teach us? So the Gemara says, when the brites said earlier that the only kosher animals are good for malecha shemayim, for the work of heaven, it's not just referring to the mishkan, it's referring to something else. What's it referring to? The tefillin. It's referring to a case where you are making tefillin, right? And it's teaching us that the the claf. The 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 parchments that are that are put into the tefillin boxes, right? That, that has to be of the hide of a kosher animal, right? And it has nothing to do with the question of can it become ritually impure of tumah or not? Where it says It says it, it says especially in the Torah. What does it say? Lamantia Teres Hashem m'vicha. And what does it say that the so that we're talking about the tefillin and we say that the the Torah of Hashem should be in your mouth. And what do we learn from there? that the, the the gar- the parchment that the tefillin are written on has to be something that would actually be mutter permitted for you to actually put in your mouth, right? So, if so, obviously the tefillin have to be able to go into your mouth. That not I literally have to go into your mouth. Have to be on a, the parchment. Of the tefillin has to be on something that could go into your mouth. So the Gemara continues and says, a run so when the Brysa said that you're only permitted to use the hide of a kosher animal, it was not referring to the actual parchment, because the parchment we actually understand from a pasuk in the Torah, that the parchment of the tefillin has to be from a kosher animal. It has to be able to go into your mouth. So Al-l-l-e-run. rather, what it's coming to teach you is that the, the boxes of the tefillin, right, the batim, have to be made out of a kosher animal, and that even the batim have to be made out of a kosher animal. The Gemara says, a question on that. The Shin which goes on the outside of the tefillin box is actually is learned out from Halacha Mesh Messina, something that Mesh Rabbeinu taught us in the Teresh V'Al in the Oral Torah. So, if this Shin, which is the the first letter of Shalim, of the name of Hashem, then then therefore the fact that the that the box must be made from the from a kosher animal is really well, it can still be learned out from the Pasik that it says that the Teresh Hashem Iya that the of Hashem should be in your mouth, right? So if the brysh does not bring down this plastic, then clearly it's not coming to teach the halacha of filling boxes or in parchment. Ella the karchan disar the So the brisa must is coming to teach like this that the the sinews that they use to to sew the boxes, if you look at your fillin' very closely on the bottom, you'll see that there's these little knots on the bottom. These sinews that they use to sew those boxes, those are, are sinews from kosher animals, not from not kosher animals. Whereas it says "Anami alach this is also alach l'mishm Mishm It's also alach which was taught us from Moshe Rabbeinu directly at Har Sinai. The Tanya, which learned in a bris, Tfillin. Miruvat is The halacha that Tfillin cannot be round and they have to be square is known halach l'mishm and so to the halacha that they could only be, you know, wrapped up together in the hair of the animal that was used on the in the in, for the for the parchment, and that they are actually sewn up with the sinews of that animal. So once again, the brayser should have said any of these halachas. So that's what the is come to teach us. When it says that it has to be from a kosher animal to do the work of Hashem, it should have said explicitly based on halachas of Mitzraye. Rather, must be that the brayser's. The Vice has come to teach us that the that the rituis of the tvilin, the straps of the tvilin, have to be coming from a kosher animal. Vahamarav Yitzchak rituis ch'heris halachal mesh messinei. But Yitzchak said that the halacha that the rituis has to be black is halachal mesh messinei. So once again, it would seem that also the halacha that it has to be coming from a kosher animal should be halachal mesh messinei. The Mara says, maybe only the halacha that it has to be black, that the rituis have to be black on the outside but maybe the fact that they that the actual tefillin straps have to be made from a kosher animal's leather do you ever say that they have to come from a kosher animal that we don't necessarily see so the bryce was teaching us that the tefillin straps have to be made from the hide of a kosher animal and therefore there's no contradiction here the bryce was just going to teach us something related to tefillin straps it wasn't teaching us that only a only a, um, a kosher animal can possibly become ritually impure through the ayel, or not. Okay. Now the Gemara asks his question, goes back to its original question. My the Tachash, what is the halacha about the Tachash that was around in the days of Meishra, and was used for the, for the Mishkan, right? So we know that, we said earlier yesterday, we said that there was a, uh, one of the coverings was a covering made out of Tachash. Was it an animal that was kosher, or an animal that was not kosher? Amay Rebbe Eloi, Ben-Lakash, says, Ben-Lakash, the mayor said, tachash the, the tachash that was around in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu, it was its own type of creature. It was, it was its own a creature that does not exist. And the chachamim weren't able to decide if it was a, a behema or a chaya. Right? Generally speaking, a behema is the animals that we have as, you know, a farm animal, right? So, you know, a cow, a sheep, a goat, a horse, a donkey, but animals that are not domesticated animals, right? So like a deer, a bison, those are called chayas, right? And there's different halachas, depending on if it's a chaya or a behema. So they weren't able to tell if this animal, this kakash animal, was it a chaya or a behema. The and it had a horn, one one horn, in its forehead. And it came to Meishabayinu right then for the purposes of this uh, of this building, the Mishkan. And he made the cover for the Mishkan, the Nignaz. And then afterwards, it disappeared. Could be it was a unicorn. I used to hear when I was a kid. Now, if, if the halacha is that the it had one horn in its forehead, it must be that it was a kosher animal. How do we know? Because the halacha is that any animal that has horns, we can assume is kosher, right? So do we say that this halacha is only true when it's a two-horned animal, or even when it's a one-horned animal? So presumably, it's also true even when it's a one-horned animal, and therefore, this itself should be a proof that it was a kosher animal. The Amr of says, The the bull that Adomarushon that the he brought to Hashem as a carbon, it had one horn in its forehead. As it says, and this. The, the, and it is better in front of Hashem, the better than a sharpar that was makrin mafris, that had horns and hoods, right? So the Pasek and Tehillim is teaching us that this is better than even that carbon that was brought by Adam. Makrin tartimash, but the, the lushan of makrin, that itself is a plural implication. So it seems like Adam really, Adam's bull really did have two horns, right? So how could you bring from here that it only had one horn? The fact that we call it a makrin seems to imply that it had two horns. Amar of Nachman, Amar of Nachman, so Nachman says, Mikaren. karen, read it, right? So although we read it as makran, the actual pasuk is written me karen, from one horn, which would seem to imply that, no, it actually only had one horn. So why don't we say that it must be a domesticated animal, and not a non-domesticated animal, right? Because if it also, this tachash has one horn, then presumably it's the same type of animal as the one that Adam had brought, which was a bull, and the bull is a behemoth. So why were Chazal unable to determine whether it was a, whether the tachash is a chaya, a domesticated animal, or a behemoth, undomesticated animal? They should say from the fact that it had one horn and the the bull that Adam and Rishon brought had one horn, that presumably it's the same alachic status. Heban de'eka because there is a different type of animal, a, a chaya, right, a non-domesticated animal, which is called a keresh. It's unclear what a keresh is, perhaps a rhinoceros, but lest they ella chada karen. And it only has one horn, Ekel in Menchayahu. So then we could say that perhaps it really is a, a Chaya. It really is a Haya, not a behema. I realized I just made a mistake. It, can, it could have been a, it can't be a rhinoceros because we, we know that the Tachash was able to be used for, um, oh, maybe a carriage could be, I'm not sure. Maybe a carriage could be a rhinoceros. I'm not sure what type of animal it is. Okay. Um, starting the new Mishnah. See, let's have baguette. If you have a, a wick that was made out of a, a, a clothing item, That would happen. What you did with it is you already folded it over so that it's ready. It's thicker than just a very single, a very thin fabric. So it's ready, thicker because you folded it over. But you did not yet hivaba means to the mitzvah on Friday that aside from setting up the candles, you're also supposed to light the candle so that it's easier to light it, right? So if a candle is lit once and then blown out, it's easier to for it to catch hold of the wick than a candle that was never lit before. So let's say you folded this over, but you cannot not light it. I as it says to me here, as it says that once it's already been folded, even though it's not yet been lit, it is now still available to be kamkame with ritual impurity. So clearly what he holds is that it is still considered to be a garment, a a, a baguette. And you cannot yet light Shabbos candles with it, right? Why not? We'll see says it is no longer able to become ritually impure. with it. So when it comes to the machlekes we can it still become impure or not? What's the it says that just folding it is not enough to change it from being a a, uh, a baguette to no longer a baguette, from being a garment that can become ritually impure to being an ungarment that cannot become ritually impure. And therefore, it's still in its original status as an object of clothing and still able to become tummy. Rebekiva holds that once you fold it into a wick, that is enough to change it from no longer status of of a garment, status of something which is not a garment. Ubitu lev batel, and therefore it's no longer a garment, and therefore it's not able to become a tomei elen adlaka. But what's the machlekas? Why are they arguing about are are you permitted to like this on Shabbos or not? So first, the Gemara is going to address something else. Amar Rebbe Elazar, Amar Rebbe Yishuv. Elazar says in the name of Rebbe Yishuv. Amar Rebbe Ada and Rebbe Ada says in the Ada, the son of Avva says. Hachap b'shalish alshalish mitzum tamos haskinan. Yesterday, the Gemara is dealing with a very specific case. It was shalish shalish It was exactly three finger breaths by three three finger breaths, right? So, we're talking about a case of lighting Shabbos candles on a Yom Tuf that's Friday, like basically what we would be doing this year, Mr. Shem. And, everybody goes with Rabbi who said, that you're allowed to light a fire on Yom Tuf if it's with a vessel that is an entire vessel. But you're not allowed to light a fire with a utensil that actually broke on Yom Tuf. Why? Because if it broke on Yom Tuf, then there's the idea of the status of something called a Neulad, right? That a nilad is something the way um Rashi explains is like this. Nilad is a brand new, a brand new thing that was not existing before Yamtuf. Right? So if it's nilad, then it becomes mukta, and therefore you're not allowed to use it. Now, Reb Yudha says that if something broke on Shabbos that was not broken before Shabbos or Yamtiv, then there, since they broke on Yamtuf, it's a new status of being a broken uh, vessel, therefore they become muktah. So Lez and Rakiva both agree that if it becomes muktaf if it breaks on Yamta is And everybody agrees with the opinion of Ula. And if someone lights Shabbos candles, they have to light with the with the most with the most of the of the part that is coming out, most of the wick that is coming out from the oil. Rabbi Leazar says that when you folded it, you did not change it from being a baguette into no longer a baguette. So therefore, it's still considered a a kli even after it was folded. When the lighting... When you first begin to light it, it came the Idlik Baporta Havilashever Klee. And then what happens is once you start lighting it, at that point, you just broke it from being a Klee to no longer a Klee. Right. Why is it no longer a Klee? So Rashi explains because what happened is we we're talking about a case over here where the ed with the piece of um, of garment was exactly three hand breaths by three hand breaths. So as soon as you light part of it, you just made it less than three hand breaths. So since you just made it less than three hand handbreads by three hand breaths, it's no longer a Klee. It's less than a Klee. And now when you're continuing and you're lighting the rest of it, what are you doing? You're lighting a kli that broke on Tif. And this is going to be a nightlight issue. And that's therefore says it's forbidden. Rabbi Kiva said that when you folded it, you actually already then changed its status from being a uh, a vessel, a garment, to no longer being a a, a vessel, a bagat. Baitaras eleven, therefore no longer has the status of a of a kli at this point. And therefore, when you when you're actually lighting this, you're lighting is something that was already turned into a piece of wood. Since it had not become a broken clea on Yom it is no it became a broken clea before Tif. therefore it is not an issue. Now let it be permitted to light it. So the Gemara now brings uh of This is it says this is how I had to explain a Braissa. So Braissa taught us that there's a specific Mishnah that tells us. Exactly a case of three by three finger breaths. I didn't know what it was referring to, but now I understand what's that Bryce referring to. That b'risa was referring to the case of, b'risa was referring to this case exactly. Now when the Mishnah tells us, are you permitted to use a garment that was folded um, folded before Shabbos and then you lit it on, I'm sorry, folded before Yom and then you lit it on Yom for the purposes of Shabbos candles, you wouldn't be permitted to, according to B'risa. They're talking about specifically a case where it was exactly three by three, Hand, finger breaths and therefore when you light it you're causing it to become less than the size of a klee and if you hold that it, it was still a klee before Shabbos then it is still a klee on Shabbos and then when you on Yom Tif, and then when you light it you're causing it to long, no longer be a klee and that is not permitted you're not allowed to light something that became no longer a clea on Yom Tif. but according to Rabbi Kiva it already become no longer a klee before YAMTIF when you folded it, and therefore you're permitted to light with it on YAMTIF because it's not going to be an issue of light of something that has first become into the world now in its new status, which will become forbidden to use.